Well, Brando, we are back from another extended Great Dive Podcast International Cave Diving Month. Uh, yes, yeah. I think our next subject still is going to be tied into it, isn't it? Uh, it is going to be tied in a little bit. and We're, we're, we're getting ready to do, uh, do a doozy here. Um, <laughs> a doozy. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, this is, without a doubt, the most controversial topic in all of scuba diving, I think. More controversial than religion in scuba diving? Uh, I, I think this is more controversial than to wear a snorkel or not to wear a snorkel. More controversial this, than my pronouns in scuba diving are split fins, snorkel, and semi-dry suit. Those are my pronouns, and you're not using them. We're going to have a big problem, my friend. I think th- this is probably a topic that people thought we would have done 200 episodes. This, this People probably that know us probably would have thought this would have been episode six or Even ten. Even one or, or two, yeah. Right. Not, definitely not into the three hundreds to get into this. Well, I think we've purposely put it off a little. A to get a little better at the podcast game and our in our audio and editing and and the uh, conversation back and forth. But um, I think also to to draw in a little bit more of a, a listening crowd, so that uh, people will will learn what the old days were like. <laughs> Where what they're doing came from. Right, right. It's, it's... Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with your old pal, Jamesy, and your older pal, Brando. And this week, we are going to talk about doing it right. D-I-R, the, 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 <laughs> the three most... <laughs> Renowned letters in all of scuba diving. And I hope it is getting a whole lot of panties all up in a bunch, all crowded up there and just squirming and wanting to take us down. Oh, it's, I, could, I could see it right now. People are pulling over and they're getting, they're getting on their uh, Facebook messenger. And then just... And just... Oh, yeah. They're uh, erupting right now. If, if they are familiar with their roots, they know what a controversial time this was back in the early 2000s, late 90s, and uh, the people involved. And one of the main people who is responsible for a lot of the changes, but also was a very controversial personality. Yeah, and we are definitely, uh, you are definitely talking about good old George Irvine. Trey. Yes. Now, either I don't. I don't want to say you either love him or hate him. I, I don't believe that's true. But uh, if you ever had I, a chance, I think, to it, talk sums to him, I think it sums it up. I think it sums it up pretty good. I don't know. I don't know if you ever had a chance to talk to him. He wasn't a bad guy at all. And I think in order to affect change, you have to be controversial. You have Absolutely. to get out there. You have to put your neck out there, which he did. And uh, he was willing to stand up and fight for what he believed in. And he, if anything, he saved lives. I don't think you can deny that. 
Right. I, I think the big point of contention today, in, in a lot of ways, you know, in the those early 2000s, you know, was, yeah, it, back in the day, it was the the presentation. It came across with, with really, like, no regard to people's past experience but that's really what he was attacking like you've been you've been doing it this way for so long and we've been you know watching the the body count grow we have to take care of this now when you get a lot of positive hey great job great job well your head gets big and you think everything you do is a great job and nobody was telling anyone that's fucked up. That's not a good idea. And if they did, the reply they would get was, well, it works for me, and I'm not dead yet. So if you go with that philosophy. Right, especially in, in a time where the diving industry was doing just that, right? It, right. It's, hey, start today, dive today. You could be done in a weekend. Everybody can dive. You, your grandma, your 10-year-old kid, scuba's for everyone world and it became a product instead of a a lifestyle choice uh, that takes time and dedication that is what was happening people were getting big heads because they had a wreck diving specialty card right that they earned by swimming around a school bus right in 30 feet of water and and then they want to go jump on the andrea doria not just because they also they would uh, because they also got their deep diver specialty card in 62 feet of water. Yeah, they were completely unprepared for the reality of the game that they were getting ready to play. They were given a false sense of confidence. They were told they were good to go. They were told they could get used to deep air. They were shown videos, images, or, or people bragging about doing 200, 300 plus foot dives on air on uh, 72s, no sense of a proper balanced rig, not even a clue of what that meant. And Gilboa, I mean, our quarry that we go to, one of them that we go to to just do our training, which is it's a highly sought-after quarry because the visibility is great. You had some depth, 120, 130 feet easily, so people would go there to practice, and they were dying almost on a weekly basis back in the day from very basic shit, and the reason was because they didn't know what they didn't know, and egos were too big to accept that somebody had a a way to do something. Right, and back in the the 80s and 90s, I mean, it was was a badge of honor to walk around with this huge ego of being a a 200-foot diver. But they were doing it, like you said, like on a single 72, dropping down, crashing, spending a minute there, coming up. Uh, and then, But they, then they would get back out to the people and brag about, hey, I've been to 200 feet, as if they went there with skill, knowledge, talent, and ability. right? And then now you've got this new group of people, this new exploration group, that's doing dives in the two to 300-foot range on the regular for extremely long durations at that depth penetrating caves yeah yeah and which is going to result in hours and hours of cave diving like we just saw over the last couple of weeks with good old Sheck Exley and now you had to do it well you had to do it smarter because the consequences were so much bigger there was no just 
bailing out because you didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> well, that that and the fact that you know th- that project you're speaking of, the WKPP, which was really the impetus and, and force behind the the DIR evolution. Um, it was taken over by George, the whole project, and you had to have a safety record. You couldn't be killing people on a, on the daily basis. And they were doing some of the hardest diving out there in the sense of, like you say, two to 300 foot going literally miles back into a cave. Uh, you had to have a developed set of uh, operating instructions, if you will. Very militaristic in its approach, very uniform. You needed that to increase safety. That's why the military has a uniform way of doing things. You do things the same way when you find out how it works, and it has to be thought out. And that doesn't mean there's not room for change. So, I mean, people can take the, the philosophy and go to the other end of the spectrum and say you're, you're unable to accept change. And I don't think that's true at all. I think, I think though, that um, the other criticism is uniformity equals no free thought. And I don't believe that at all, especially being a military veteran. Yes, there's a bunch of uniformity, but... Everything I ever did in the service, they welcomed your input if you had something positive and beneficial to add. If you're just repeating your stupidity because you have no experience, well, you don't have time for that. But if you have something positive and and that could change things, they were all ears, at least in my experience. And DIR was all about finding a system to enhance safety— enhance everybody's efficiency in the water to allow a team to work together rather than having you know three buddies with three completely different mindsets wanting to accomplish three completely different tasks trying to deco on three completely different schedules but calling themselves a team exactly i mean you nailed it right there if everybody wants their own way of doing it that's not a team uh you you won't be anywhere near each other in the water and and you won't you won't have the maximum efficiency of of being able to respond to problems because everyone has a different gear setup, gear choice, protocol. If everyone's doing everything on their own page because of the old, hey, you do what works for you, which when you pay a lot of money for a cave or a technical class and you get there and the instructor says, you do what works for you, I could have done that at home without giving you $2,000. I could have done what works for me at home without paying you any money. But I'm here to learn what works for people that actually do it and have been through instructor courses. And Now, the other problem that we had here in the mid-90s was this new little thing called the Internet was coming up it was the perfect storm really it really was a perfect storm right so back in the old days kids when you got really pissed off (laughs) (laughs) you went you went you went into the you know closet and up on the top shelf was this 40 pound typewriter that you you had to to get down and set on the table and you would swack away at, at, at keys and you would write up a letter and you have to put it in an envelope and address it and stick a stamp on it and wait weeks 
to get a response. And by the time you, you may or may not have gotten that response, you've, you've probably calmed down. But in the mid-90s with the birth of the internet and these boards that started to pop up, right? you could be sitting at home pissed off about something and start spewing your thoughts <laughs> and get an immediate, an immediate response back. And you could retort once again. Right. There was no physical repercussions either. So you really didn't have to answer for your big fucking mouth. Uh, hence the term keyboard warrior or even keyboard diver. You saw that a lot. And, and George was, was one as well. He had no problem telling you to go fuck yourself. I think... Uh, uh, I th- I uh, think literally. Yeah. Uh, literally, I think that was one of his most common uh, <laughs> phrases. But... In George's defense, I think he'd say it right to your face, too. He wasn't, I, I don't think he was afraid to uh, be ready to defend himself physically if you, if you thought so inclined to get in front of him and tell him he doesn't know what he's doing and you're going to prove it by trying to punch him in the face. I don't think he has a problem with that. All right, so fun stuff. This is, um, <laughs> no, no. So, so Brando, let's, let's get into this right now. Do it right. Or don't do it, which was an article, uh, an opinion piece that old George wrote in, I think, 1995 for Deep Tech Magazine. And, you know, in true George fashion, you know, later on he would say that at the time this article was written, George said, the term Hagarthian was well known to the strokes. It was like... The cross to the vampire. <laughs> it was. But, uh, because I know, I know most people don't know what a stroke is in reference to calling a diver a stroke. Maybe we can bring that term back. Maybe the Great Dive Podcast will be responsible for bringing uh, the term stroke back into the vernacular of every avid diver out there. Because I know the, old, the old-timers, they kind of know it. A stroke was uh, somebody who's doing dives well beyond their capabilities that has no clue about what they're doing and is uh, ready to to teach it as well. I mean, um, they are willing to stick up what they are doing without a, a background experience or knowledge of what they're doing. So it's somebody who spews forth a lot of a bullshit and does bullshit and doesn't know they're doing bullshit. Well, it became a derogatory term. It was a derogatory term. I don't know if that it became. It was a, a lot of people, you know, took offense to throughout the industry. They should that have been in the industry for a long time. It's an offensive which term, is, <laughs> right? Right. Which <laughs> is where you know the the term "doing it right" and "dir" became the assumption that anybody who wasn't dir was doing it wrong, and that's where the fight really started. And George didn't have any any qualms about calling somebody a stroke. Yeah, I think actually what I had heard, and this is, again, this is going off of memory, so maybe incorrect. It was, he he coined the term from other divers that would be there stroking their egos for the dives they're doing. And that's what that was. They're just stroking their egos is where the term really originated from. Perfect. That's okay. what we wanted to get. To. Yeah. That and that's what I recall. And I can't 
I can't say the the uh, veracity of that statement or not. I can't I can't talk about the veracity of it because I I don't know. But it was just something I had heard a long long time ago. George said that article marked the turning point. That article that we're about to get into, where we moved from the nomenclature of Hagarthy and progressed into DIR. DIR goes well beyond gear streamlining, while. Bill Hogarth Maine and others were among the first to see the light in this regard. They quit doing the hardcore diving in the mid-80s. The obstacles that presented themselves as we progressed required a more comprehensive system, now known as DIR. DIR encompasses all forms of diving from open water to wreck to cave. And unfortunately, while the Hagarthian thing used to be a lot of fun for us in the WKPP to joke about and stick in the faces of the Strokes, now the Strokes have turned around and are calling their favorite personal preference convoluted systems Hagarthian. Luckily, (laughs) we dropped that years ago. George says they've done this for two reasons. Competitive pressures in the dive instruction exerted by students who want to learn DIR and tech criticisms of the stupidity of the past and present have forced these agencies to seek a change. Also, the fact that Bill Maine is no longer associated with us and has a big problem with my changing of the way things are done has led the strokes to choose his nomenclature over ours as a combative tool. The fact that there is nothing that compares to DIR and it is either DIR or it's bullshit. I remember, and I'm not going to say who said it, but it was a, a pretty famous diver told me there's DIR and there's everybody else. End of story. And that kind of sums it up in my mind. You, you are either doing this or you're doing something else. And there's everybody else. And there, therein lies part of the issues you run into if you're trying to do team diving if you're not doing team diving i guess dir has no place for you right i mean correct me if i'm wrong you can do whatever you want if it works for you and you're diving by yourself great if you are doing a team dive you really run into problems if you're not doing it in a uniform manner and dir was about it in the sense of a uniform way of diving Correct, which is where the, the the big line in the sand got drawn, right? Because there were people like you and I who heard about this and wanted to learn and embrace it and saw the value that it, you could take to all these other forms of diving. When in, in a time in the diving industry, it, it was taught that everything is so different. You know, cave diving is different from... Ice diving is different from river diving, is different from ocean diving, which is different from reef diving, which is different from altitude diving, which is, you know, you name the the little specialty of, of, of diving where what DIR was coming in and saying is there's a logic that we can have that can bring all of this together so the thinking stays the same and stays uniform and you can build a team. And then if you wanted, in reality, if you wanted to go solo diving, you would be a far better solo diver as a DIR-trained team diver. 
but you couldn't be the hardiest of hardiest of solo divers and ever expect to work in a unified team. It's never going to happen. Absolutely. And I think when you start to examine the, the, the philosophy or the tenets of the, the system, if you will, you'll see it's all about laying a foundation that you can build upon. Instead of laying a foundation for one type of diving, throw it away when you want to go somewhere else and lay a different foundation. Throw that away when you want to go somewhere else. So instead of building a diver from day one where he can have this solid, broad-based foundation to grow upon, i.e., you're an open-water diver. Here's a jacket, an octo, in a snorkel, in your split fins, go swimming. None of that works as you progress into diving. None of it, zero, zilch, does not work. So you've got to take your octo, chuck it in the trash, take your split fins, chuck it, take your goddamn jacket, BCD, and chuck it. And then when you examine each one of those simple pieces, you say, well, these, even in open water, aren't the best choices. They just are not the optimal choices, and we can show you why. And then, boom, show them why. Instead of the approach, you teach a diver from day one, this is how, we, how you dive, and you build upon it. So when I decide I want to go a little deeper into the plus 100-foot range or into overhead, so I need twins, I don't have to chuck all of my old gear and learn a whole new configuration. I build upon it. I don't have to learn new propulsion techniques. I build upon what I've already been taught. Uh, I don't have to get different fins. I don't have to get different exposure suits, you know, necessarily. I build upon what I've been taught. And the same, you go from cave to deep mix, ice dive, whatever dive you're doing, you build upon your day one base that you established. And that really is what appealed to me. Because of the simple laws of learning, it all makes sense. Instead of chucking out what you've learned, which is very difficult to do, <laughs> right? Your pri the primacy rule is that first thing you learned is going to be what you fall back on. Well, how do you erase that so you fall back on something else when the shit hits the fan? Right, So th that kind of stuff was what really appealed to me about this quote-unquote system or philosophy. Well, right. P.S., the, it's not a cult. <laughs> and at the time that this was going on, you've got a lot of extremely well-established agencies, well-established divers and names throughout the industry that were in opposition, direct opposition to this. Yeah. Right. So, yes, there is a lot of like pride, a lot of ego involved. So when George was coming out telling people what you just said, but with the uh, the little <laughs> fuck you. The, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Uh, with with that in, in there as well, people were immediately, you know, on guard yeah. and ready to ready to go to blows. Right. And so. In a way, he kind of stepped on his own foot in a way because mm. the approach immediately pissed people off in a way that they turned and said, fuck you, we'll just do it our way. We're fine with, quote, unquote, doing it wrong, whatever. And they went so deep into sticking with their own thoughts that they never gave it a chance. And it would take 25 years later 
So the, the, the slow approach was going to occur any way you looked at it. But there was such a, a, a violent streak in, in for uh, like 10 years, right, where a lot of the, I mean, the, the big guys who brought us the term DIR have walked away from it because of that very thing. Well, walked away from the term. They still dive the same way. You know, and the right. name's just a fucking name. And, and, and that's where, you know, I kind of go to this idea, like, the, the people fighting back were not fighting back because of the content and the quality of what was being said. They were fighting back because somebody just called them a bad name. We're not that bad name, and we can do the big dives, too. There's a lot of babyish, juvenile behavior on both sides. Uh, because we had the other thing, which is people for the DIR system who just learned to dive. And, and of course, the very... Um, enthusiastic about it so they get out there and start arguing with people who've been diving for 25 years right this is the problem with uh, where, where the internet really really oh, yeah. ruined things in many ways because that very thing is somebody takes a uh, dir fundamentals in 2005 doesn't even necessarily pass it <laughs> but 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 learns learns about this and the next thing you know they're they're on the internet they're on the, these forums telling somebody with Already thirty years of diving experience, doing dives way beyond, you know what what this new person is telling them that they're doing everything wrong that they need to be DIR. Yes, the fights <laughs> ensued. It was great. It was a, it was a fun time to be in the in the crux of this, and and that's you know that's kind of where I I came into it in the late nineties and. Uh, before there was a fundamentals class and all that shit. And uh, the logic of it made sense to me. After I had already taken, I was already a trimix diver. I was already a cave diver. I'd already gone through all that stuff. And uh, when I compared the two, one had a very sane logic to it. And one was like, well, whatever works for you. And, and try it this way and do this and that and the other thing. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that. You had to have learned how to do it wrong before you could do it right. You know, you have to make the mistakes and learn from them to, to evolve into a, a more clean, logical approach to diving. And, and that's where I came from. Um, so it's just sitting back and watching. And that's mostly what I did. Sat back and watched the hilarity ensue. And it was hilarious, wasn't it? It is to this day to a certain extent, but back then, it was awesome. Well, we're going to get into that, but today, <laughs> let's get into this article from George. He says, a dive instructor I know recently had a student show up for a cave diving course with a rectangular dive light, a scooter cage, a helmet, and a convoluted independent doubles rig. This student already knew what he wanted from his cave course, presumably from reading the advertisements. His first comment to his amused instructor was that he was not quite ready to try a thousand foot penetration dive, but his cave diving merit badge would be a good start. He never once <laughs> asked for his instructor's opinion, and his instructor happens to be one of the most experienced cave divers around. Unfortunately, much of the day was spent teaching buoyancy control to this new, quote-unquote, tech diver. In other words, he was a schmuck. Well, diving 
you know, the the way diving was in the in the nineties, you know, it, it bred you know, the the the, the patch jackets, the specialty <laughs> certification cards, you know, the the been there done that t shirts. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when, you know, diving was dangerous and, and <laughs> sex was safe bumper stickers you know yeah. it was you know so, so when what recreational scuba world did to the diver when they showed up to a cave diving class the the diver was conditioned to think that all you had to do was buy the new gear for that class from the dive shop and then you know in the one day course you can go do that new activity yeah, it was all about equipment, almost entirely, as a matter of fact. On the technical diving discussion groups that are popular on the internet, tech diver, cavers, etc., I routinely see recommendations for gas mixtures known to cause seizures and heavy narcosis by people who boast every qualification except having been there or done it themselves. I read comments from people who claim to have the ability to dive deep on air and handle the narcosis. I read justifications for dangerous gear configurations under the guise of personal preference. I read report after report of deaths of quote-unquote tech divers who apparently believe that technical diving means depth. I read about training agencies who sell certifications for asinine specialties like technical deep air or advanced technical nitrox. Especially insidious are the rebreather pushers who offer the desperate tech diver the diving equivalent of a cure for AIDS. But like the elixir salesmen of the Wild West will leave death and destruction in their wake and leave us with regulation from the likes of the FDA. If people really understood these devices, they would run screaming from the room and would certainly not take instruction on so sophisticated a device from someone with no engineering or technical background, let alone the cadre of undereducated instructors who apparently don't understand high school math, judging from the performance and teaching dive academics. <laughs> You know, we laugh, but it it was everywhere. Everything he said was all over the place. Uh, so the people might be getting a feel for old George. Yes. I think he was just sick of it. And, and, th- and this is like him writing a very professional and refined article oh yes, for, a, for a magazine. <laughs> yeah, This is way refined because in the coming episodes, we're going to go over some of the, the old... BBS and some of the exchanges that that were on the internet at the time. We'll get to the email uh, writing style momentarily. George says, diving is a wonderful sport that can be enjoyed your whole life. Why not just do it right? It's a physical activity that is best enjoyed if one is in good shape. After all, the finest piece of dive gear you own is you. Get in shape, get a physical, and have your doctor check you for predispositions to DCS and other dive-related problems before you dive. Now, this is in 1995. Right. I mean, mean, you're talking 25 years later before uh, the topic of a PFO was regularly discussed 
in a dive shop. George is saying in 1995, there's things that you should look into before you just take a class and start diving. You should be in you should be in good shape. This is one of the other big contentions that the the mainstream community had with what George was saying about DIR. He was saying you can't be a chain smoking, out of shape, no cardiovascular health, you know, lump on a log and getting out there doing the, the these types of dives. Or can you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, I agree 100% because we've said it before. Yeah, typical diving, the idea is if you're working, you're doing it wrong. But you never know when you're going to need that uh, physical ability to get through the dive. You don't know what you're going to encounter. And yes, for most of diving, it's it's very easy. Um, but sometimes you need you need a little physical fitness in you you need a little strength and endurance right and when you're, when you're looking at where this program was written which is trying to enter an extremely high flow cave environment where yeah finesse and ability and uh having that cardiovascular health was going to be paramount for the success of the dive the realization came to be well you know you can be in cozumel on a 30-foot reef and get to a point on a dive where you need all of that same strength and attributes on a diver. And what we started to see is over the course of the years is when you look at the Dan accident reports and diving fatalities, this was a leading contributor to a lot of the issues is people's own personal health and size and BMI and inability to efficiently move and exchange gas. Yeah, I mean, diving is a physical activity, and the environment and the equipment and, and what we're doing has an extreme effect on physiology. And if your physiology is fucked in the beginning, you're already starting off with a, a foot in the grave, so to right. speak. And when you were a, a dive instructor in these days who was, you know, 350 pounds and has been teaching diving for 20 years, well, it's no wonder you know that you got offended <laughs> that you got offended by what was coming out of the 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 writings and the speech of old George Irvine. Yeah. He says when the time comes to gear up for a dive, remember that less is always best. Why encumber yourself with excess underwater baggage? Less gear is more streamlined, more comfortable, more effective and therefore more safe. If you don't need it, don't take it. Keep it simple. There are no unseen demons in diving. Rigging your gear to prevent non-problems is counterproductive. For example, independent valves are an attempt to avoid a failure in the manifold. Manifold, failed, manifold failures seldom, if ever, occur. Independents add complexity and risk due to the air management rules required to use them effectively. Not to mention the difficulty in sharing gas with another diver in an emergency. Remember the buddy system? Remember the basics? When the shit hits the fan, they're the only thing that will save you. So you had better get them mastered. Bitch. <laughs> you forgot the bitch part. <laughs> this is the day, Brando, when... 
if one of the major companies came out with a BCD with two stainless steel D-rings, <laughs> the next guy is, came out with one with four stainless yeah. steel D-rings. And they'd be thicker. And then the third <laughs> manufacturer came out with one with eight stainless steel D-rings. Yeah. And then the next guy came out with one with 16 stainless steel D-rings. And they kept getting thicker, James, and thicker. And, and let me ask you something. Here, a thick, a thick D-ring or a thin D, thinner D-ring? Which one's better? Uh, the big, thick one, obviously. It's humongous. <laughs> it's a four-inch wide, quarter-inch yeah. thick stainless steel that wasn't even welded together. It was just pinched together, too. You know, it was a piece of shit. But it was all for show. It was for show. And all for looks. And it was. And, and if you know, FYI, the thick ones make things more difficult. They're not better. <laughs> and more dangly and, and less streamlined. And, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. So the, the, the majors, all, I mean, all the big companies really care about is selling more and more product. And if something catches somebody's eye, they're going to go, Marketing. well, let, let's talk to the engineering department. Let's design our own. that looks better. That's flashier. And the salesmen in the dive shops were, you know, dancing and flashing and showing and talking about all the extra features, you know, pushing a product, not pushing an effective, efficient, useful piece that when you were, you know, like you said earlier, miles in a cave, right? When you're at the apex of diving, like extreme depth and extreme penetration, only one way out. What are the guys using there? And it was nothing like was hanging on the, the on shelf, shelf yeah. in, a, in any dive shop in America, right? It was very, very minimalist and very, very refined to only the very, very simple basics of what was absolutely mandatory for that dive. At the time, also, independent doubles was a go-to for the masses, right? right? It, it was, you just needed more air. Well, just strap on a, se- just strap on a second bottle <laughs> and you got it covered. I mean, that's how, uh-huh. I, like in this time, it was like the late nineties right. that that's how I was told to go deep. Just, well, you've got, there's all kinds of 72s here at the shop. Just strap two of them together, put two regulators on it and, and come diving with us. Very, very short sighted thinking. Well, it, it was very short-sighted because nobody had even presented another way yet. And then what was happening is this stuff was getting perpetuated along the way because, you know, one person would learn it and they would teach it to somebody else and they'd teach it to two more people and they'd teach it to four more people. And so and this thinking that – And they would all become instructors, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, these little communities were doing – the independent doubles became one of the biggest – points of the dir configuration was the dual manifold with the isolator bringing the whole system together so that you can have a problem stay underwater solve your problems underwater have control of all of your gas at all times and have a logical system of the same air sharing procedure with any emergency not having to think about what second stage is in my mouth when right well, and, and that's the thing, when you're deep on air, narked out of your gourd, and you have to think about, you know, that's the key. You have to think about which fucking regulator is in your mouth. What bottle am I breathing from? And those independent twins are on your back. You can't even see what's going on back there. And you're assuming you got it right 
when you when you leaped off the boat <laughs> or you you entered the water, you may have had the wrong Reagan. Uh, so they color coded them. Which how great is that when you're down deep? What's one of the first things to go? Are the colors right? So the the independent doubles, the back mounted pony bottles. I mean, these were all like just stroke targets for old George back in the back in the day, right? And these are the things that he was coming right out and attacking people for. And and this is where I go. You know, he made this mess himself, anyways, because he his first go-to was a punch it, it, it wasn't a, a logical explanation i think you missed out. the punch they, they, he got i think you missed that because he took shit too i mean oh, he, he didn't he just like wake up yeah. and go i'm gonna go take on the fucking strokes of the world i think he took a lot of shit he got tired of arguing he said i am fortunate to be the director of a research and exploration organization called the woodville karst plane project the wkpp Our group conducts research dives around Tallahassee, Florida. One member of the WKPP, William Hogarth, Maine, happens to be the person for whom the Hogarthian system of gear configuration is named. The Hogarthian system has a few simple tenets and principles. It relies on simplicity and skill rather than complexity and equipment. The primary piece of equipment is the mind and body of the diver, which must be in excellent condition. The next most important piece of equipment is the buddy, who must likewise be fit and configured the same, since it is the buddy's job to provide redundancy. That this is not even taught in most classes. You know, buddy just means another person in the water, and especially coming out of the, your average open water class. It's just another person in the water. They don't talk about uniform equipment configurations. They don't talk about fitness of that buddy. They don't talk about experience of that buddy. You can't be doing a complex dive bringing a buddy who has different equipment, different configuration of equipment, and is not fit to do the job. Right, and that, well, there's the point, right? Because everybody else is saying, well, we're not going to do complex dives at the beginning. We're going to do just very simple, basic weenie dives. So everybody can wear whatever they want. They can use a Air <laughs> McDoodle or they can use an octopus or they can use a pony bottle or they can use whatever they want. You know, it's all. Ba- and if they get somewhere down the road, then they can, you know, worry about that later. And what this system was the first one to do was say, why don't we start with the end game in mind Whoa. at the, at the very beginning of, of learning so that there's a consistent model from beginning to end that builds upon itself rather than telling everybody one thing on day one and then when they get to do a, a dive that, you know, I don't know, you, you call a real dive, a big boy dive, they got to stop and start all over again. Or a big girl dive, but yes. Uh, yeah, I mean... Why do you keep erasing the previous education so you can move forward? You're taking steps backwards to move forward versus just start from day one and build that solid foundation. And And I know the argument because I faced it before, which is, so you want to train a cave diver right from open water. And that is that is not what we're saying. As a matter of fact, that's taking it to the other end of the spectrum. It's not what we're saying or not what they're saying either. There are ways to make your solid base perfect for open water diving and one that you can build upon if you so choose 
to extend your diving or push your diving further. And you won't have to take that step backwards and get rid of your old equipment. That was the other thing. The old equipment was either put in the closet or you sold it. And aside from the equipment, I mean, this is the first time anybody's coming out saying that your buddy in the water is not just another body, a body there. It's somebody who is trained like you, equipped like you, thinks like you, plans gas like you, plans the dive with you, understands the same decompression obligation as you, is just as mentally focused and aware, understands what you're going to do on the dive, what they're going to do on the dive, and ready to uh, intersect different roles on the dive. It's not just somebody that, hey, swim near me in case I run out of air. You can (laughs) shove something in my mouth and we can go popping to the surface. Right. If you can't see the difference in that, maybe you need to step back a little and, and examine what you're doing because... It's huge. That is so big in the in the approach to scuba as as an instructor and as a diver. It, it revolutionized the whole the whole industry. But at a time where the instruction then and even still today, for the most part, was so focused on lowering the price, lowering the the, the, the the cost of entry, anybody can get in. There was no time to teach a buddy team. Right, it's just you got to have a buddy. Let's go. Here's your card. Hopefully, you stick with it long enough to to want to do something more. Buy more equipment. Stop. Right. Yeah. And to do, they don't care if you do more. The reason they wanted you to do more is because you'd need new equipment. You'd need to buy new equipment. I mean, let's just be honest. In the in the book, doing it right, the fundamentals of better diving by Jared Jablonski that he put out in the uh, uh, early uh, 2000s. There's a chapter in there called What Am I Missing? And he says, regardless of whether one is a deep wreck diver, cave diver, shallow ocean diver, or lake diver, all recreational, non-paid divers share a common motive for diving. Namely, they want to have fun. Girls just want to have fun. Typically, people take up diving for recreational reasons. This, in turn, has resulted in an industry that has emphasized short and easy training over proficiency. And in divers who have been led to believe that recreational diving requires little, if any, dedication to the skill mastery or physical fitness. Yeah, look at your basic open water class. How often do they mention the word practice? How often do they even you know, bring up the subject like, hey, in order to become proficient at this... And really get the enjoyment out of it. You're going to have to go and practice. No, the the only thing you get is if you haven't done it in a while, take a refresher before you go on that trip. Which, again, how impactful is that? You haven't dived in two years. You go take a refresher. Are you good to go? Well, it's a lot better than Nothing. not having anything, right? And that's what they and that's what they bank on is. That is exactly what they bank on, is it's better than nothing. So that's their argument. It's not better than have practiced. Look at it. Compare it to skiing or golf or anything. If you're going to go do it, you like to practice. Like even be, I don't golf hardly ever anymore. And that's because I don't have time to practice. But, you know, this is equivalent, whereas I'll go into uh, like our family little tournament that we have every year. And I'll run out to the range and, and, you know, hit a few buckets of balls. That's like the refresher class. Do I go out and right. do well? Do I enjoy myself at the dive? I'm telling you, if there were not beer, I wouldn't go. 
I just say, hey, let's just go sit and talk with the family. The golfing is just the, kind of the excuse. Thankfully, golfing doesn't have the ramifications if you fuck up, right? That's totally ass. right. Yes. And same thing with with skiing, right? I mean, it's most people that aren't accomplished skiers, they go down the hill once and then they go into the lodge and <laughs> order a hot toddy. Yeah. But again, I mean, there's skiing is not nearly as complex as scuba diving with regard to equipment, life support equipment for that matter. And um, the reality of the skill needed to do it well. Skiing doesn't really even compare. But even then, you'd like to warm up a little, right? You don't just jump on the black diamond. There you go. That's because in scuba, there are no bunny hills. I mean, you, even from 30 feet, you can kill yourself pretty goddamn easily. Yeah. Greatest ratio in the, in the least depth right there. Two to one, your lungs will overexpand. George says the Hogarthian diver's gear is in perfect condition from maintenance and is clean and streamlined with no elbows, swivels, or convolutions of hose routing or anything else that is not absolutely necessary. It is proven gear of the highest quality with no consoles, computers, gadgets, widgets, or dangling nonsense of any kind. There is nothing in front of the diver. Everything is hidden away neatly. All of the diver's motions are unencumbered, and his solutions to every contingency are simple and straightforward. You mean you don't have your long hose, you know, strapped to the side of your twins? So that if you ever, if you want to practice deploying it, you need a buddy to restow it for you, or you need to take your equipment off, or you have to get out of the water. That's the convolution that I was taught originally. Yeah, I learned that. I had to try it. I try, I've tried it all, and that's, I mean, that's a lot of the thing that we used to face as far as argument is I've already gone through those classes. I've already tried butt mounting shit and the side mounting of the long hose. I've tried independent twins. I've tried bottles all over the fucking place on me. I've tried it all, and, and every single one of those seems, I mean, it has a lot of weak points. It has a lot of failure modes, and none of them, none of those methods emphasize everyone on the team having the same configuration. Right. So if you ever had an emergency, you first had to figure out who it was that you were swimming <laughs> what, over to. What am I dealing with here? Yeah. Right. We got to remember how how Billy's <laughs> routing his shit before I can uh, ask a question, you know. His purple rag versus his green rag. Oh, wait. But today he had to switch rags because his... His purple rag second stage was, was broken, so he's using another green rag. So don't pay attention to the colors today. Uh, it, there was a lot of shit like that. It was um, scary. And when you look back in hindsight and you read about all the unfortunate incidents that occurred during that time period, I mean, it's plain to see why the accident rate was so high back then. There was no uniformity. There was no set of protocols. It was, hey, do your own thing, man. It was like a hippie thing. You know, I love hippies. I consider myself a hippie. But the do your own thing, man, doesn't work really well in, a, uh, in an environment that's hostile to humans and, and needs a little bit of that militaristic uniformity to it. Especially if you're going to start doing the, the real magic of what DIR would bring is that mental concept of the team and that mental adhesion 
to a to a rule that allowed everybody to work independently but also flow together in a uniformity it, it, it's a beautiful magic but if everybody's doing different things and everybody's got a different skill set and everybody's stowing and storing and deploying things in different ways it's really hard to get started if everybody's struggling with buoyancy and, and they have to devote so much of their mental you know uh database to just not fucking everything up underwater <laughs> right there, there's very little room to open your brain up to be able to see that big picture amongst three people and, and be able to look at you know your teammate underwater and know what's going on in their head yeah i mean you're starting to talk like a hippie right there in in the sense of the dude hey y'all uh that's a that's a southern hippie um really the ultimate goal is that enjoyment and that hitting that sweet spot on the on the dives with your team where it's wonder it's beautiful it's awesome when it when that happens and it can't happen if you're on your own page you all have to be on the same page it's just like a football team it's just like a, any team sport anybody who's played a team sport i think will agree with it i hope they will when everybody's on the same page and the team is just working like this i, I hesitate to call it a, a machine because it's beyond that it's beyond a machine everybody knows what each other's going to do before they do it and they're Everyone is having the best time of their lives as far as the diving is going. And, and why? Because you're confident in the outcome. You're confident in, in the competency of everybody involved. And um, it just works so well together. And that, to me, is a hippie moment because it's like peace, love, and happiness underwater. It's awesome. And that's where the fun comes in. And that is what fun is, basically. Fun isn't, you know fucking around with a goddamn long hose on strapped to the side of your twins or a butt mounted light that you can't reach hardly uh that's not fun it's just not fun with all of the macho deep air divers and officious nouveau techies running around it is easy to lose sight of the basics and the objective which is to have fun if it doesn't feel like fun then it's not if it's not clean and simple, it's not Hagarthian. If it's not Hagarthian, it's not right. And if you're not doing it right, don't do it at all. George closes out. <laughs> Controversial. And this, and this is the, and this was the article that kind of blew up, uh, blew up the industry in many ways, and started. The uh, the scuba version of World War Three. So World War Three, or more like a Vietnam War. I don't know if there's any winners. Although I mean, the community has benefited exponentially from the introduction of, of the quote unquote DIR philosophy into scuba diving. Because before this, there was nothing. There was hey, do your own thing, man. And if everybody's going to invent their new way, their own way, what the fuck do you need an instructor for? Well. You bring up a great point, and I know this is where we're going to go over the next couple of episodes, right, is when DIR hit, I mean, nobody was doing gas planning. I mean, the, the, I mean the, the technical agencies, you could say, you know, were doing some gas planning, but, I mean, they're, they're, it's so much it's kind of math to, like, mm -hmm. like, to the tenth of a decimal point on gas consumption. Yeah. 
you know, trying to figure like out a ridiculous number, or you had be on the boat with 500 psi. Right. There was no practical thought of gas planning, like doing it in the field. There was no in the field rules. They were pull out your your worksheet of paper, which was, you know, it was a full a full load of paper. It was much like what we did in commercial school. And it's great to know. It's great knowledge. I wouldn't knock an agency, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure both of the agencies that we've been that you're presently associated with, and who I was so associated with, we did teach how to calculate gas management to that degree. But then you learn, hey, there's a there's an easier way you can do it in the field without having to pull out a you know a piece of paper and whip out a bunch of calculations. You can you can do gas planning on the fly and be right in the in the same target range as you were doing it to the, you know, thousandth decimal place. And nowadays in 2023, that has permeated into the vast majority of the industry. Same same thing, you know, with the equipment same way with the, the, the concept of the buddy team, right? This all, you know, in 2000, in 2005, even, even pushing into the 2010s, there was really one philosophy that was teaching a lot of the concepts. In 2023, most of the tech agencies, most of the cave agencies, most of the agencies in general have brought concepts like situational awareness more to the forefront, have brought gas planning into the forefront, have brought decompression more than just pop the 15 feet and do a safety stop. You know, if you, if you can swing it, if it's, if it's convenient enough into the, to the game, Uh, there's a, a discussion that goes on with equipment in so much as it's not uncommon in 2023 for the majority of a dive boat to be in back plates, long hoses, necklaces. In 2005, only a DIR diver was wearing that stuff. Right. Well, it goes to that old adage that, that you know, JJ used to bring up. I think it was first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And that's where we're at. I mean, that's why you go into a dive shop now and you'll find back plates, wings, harnesses. From every one of the major manufacturers has a whole line of it. Right. When, you know, 20 years ago, they said, that's the stupidest thing in the world. We'll never do that. Exactly. And so now they're embracing it. All driven by greed, though. All driven by fucking greed. That worries me a little bit because usually that well, greed be, is Yeah, because it's not, it's, not a, it's, it's not a product that you can buy. Thank you. The, the real magic of what DIR wants to teach. It starts there, right? You need to be in the right equipment. You can't be dressed like a monkey underwater. You can't look like a monkey underwater. You need a skill set, uh, a real logical skill set that a scuba diver needs to have, right? Not just a human being underwater with dive gear that, that thinks like a land human, plans like <laughs> a land human, right? You need to evolve into a diver. And then once you're a diver, right now, okay, now I can actually teach you how to dive. But you kind of got to know already. You got to be equipped properly already in order to even get started. Yeah, equipment is a good portion of it. Well, we used to do, we had the equipment, education, and experience kind of triangled the three E's. 
Yeah. And then the other side of it is the education part of it and, and the skill set. Well, you have people trying to copy that and they've never been, quote unquote, baptized by the DIR gods, if you will. They buy the equipment and they call themselves DIR or they buy the equipment and they, yeah, they look pretty streamlined and, and flat in the water. So they believe they're DIR. So you see a lot of that too, you know, kind of stealing, stealing the term so they can use it as a marketing ploy to get more students, even though they probably, you know, not all of them, but many of them really haven't got the, that in their blood, so to speak, the DIR. As we'll get into more as we uh, journey through old George Irvine and at DIR over the next uh, episode or two. Yeah, I think that that's when the real fun will start, James, because those were great times. Probably not for people involved because you could see the tempers flaring, but if you were just sitting there with your popcorn in front of the internet, you know, reading and watching, it was fun times. Fun times. It's hard not to get sucked into it, too, though. You know, given all this DIR talk, is there a DIR way of making sure you are smooth and ready to roll for that dive? Are you talking about your your face being smooth, or are you talking about your diving skills and trim being smooth? I, I'm talking about all of it, your face and even your nether regions for those big dives. You need to put that condom cath on or your CP or whatever you happen to be, whatever is in between those. I don't know what's in between those these days, but whatever you're using, you need to be clean and smooth, and there's only one way to D-I-R it. That's right, people. Breaking news. Manscaped is now selling beard products. We've told you about it before. That's right. They've gone from waist to face to help you replace that bulky razor with their brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Remember, Manscaped, Brando, helped you get the golden rod of a Greek god. <laughs> and now they've created the best tools for you to turn heads with a clean perfectly groomed and conditioned beard whoa you can finally tame your mane by going to manscaped.com and using the code tgdp for 20 percent off plus free shipping this kit's going to change your life beard hedger pro kit it's made made it easier than ever to craft your signature look like you've got the i mean your your goatee now man it's it's all perfect it's it's different lengths but all like groomed in all, all well thanks for noticing like, like you're like you're a hollywood uh, cover model <laughs> thanks for noticing i appreciate that and it is all due to the folks at manscaped the beard have you been using that beard shampoo and conditioner i have yeah beard is, is smelling great as my wife tells that clean fresh smell the beard balm i love i put it on before a dive to keep those untamed uh, hairs where they should be when you're getting your photo taken by old jamesy right there i like to look at the photo up close i'd like to see what's going on in the details i look at my beard that beard balm is doing its thing like, like a little uh you know i've been using pomade in my hair for years it doesn't like a little pomade for your beard shape it style it moisturize it then, and then, like when you're sitting uh, up on shore talking to Brando, you only want you only want to get closer and closer and closer to him. He smells smells like he 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 uh, has an aroma of fresh eucalyptus and lavender. It's uh, it's what's wonderful. It's a great way to have that beard exactly styled the way you want it. There you go, people. Get twenty percent off of free shipping with our code TGDP at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Com, using our code TGDP. The Manscaped 
Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the premier solution to face grooming. Brando, should we sign some logbooks? Brando, if you're going to sign my logbook, you better do it right. And James, if you're going to sign my my logbook and you're doing it wrong, you can, to quote George, suck my ball sack. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, seriously, uh, after we're done signing, let's go uh, grab a, a cup of joe, too. Yeah, people, go over to uh, theabyscoffeeco.com and use the code TGDP10 over there uh, and order yourself some fine Abyss coffee. And we will see you guys and gals next week. Well, you'll hear us next week. That's what you meant. (laughs) Exactly.